Can you hear me? It's so good to be here with you all. I can't believe this is my first time to be down here. I'm so, so glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. What a joy. Um, as Father Aaron said, uh, my name is Margie Fawcett, and I'm so glad to be here. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself before we jump into Colossians. Um, I have worked for the church for a long time, even when before I was married and had children. I worked in children's ministry, and now I serve, as Aaron said, doing small groups and pastoral care, and it is really a lot of fun. I love doing that. Um, also, my husband died about 13 years ago of cancer, and I have two fantastic children, one of whom who's here, who turned 19 yesterday, my daughter Charlotte, which is awesome, and my son Josiah just turned 16 recently, so I have been experiencing new levels of anxiety as I've given him the keys to our car, <clears throat> and he has driven off. Um, <clears throat> so it's been a delight to... Um, to have such precious children, and um, also to serve the Lord in uncertain times. So before we jump in, I just wanted to say if there are any of you here who your life has taken a path that perhaps you didn't expect or want or choose, that the Lord is good, and he's with you all the time, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. <clears throat> Pardon me. When I was in fourth grade, I grew up in Indianapolis, so it was like a really great thing to come to Chicago. I was in fourth grade, and my parents brought our family up here, and we did all the, like, touristy things. We went to museums and whatnot. And when we were in the Museum of Science and Industry, I wanted to see something that my parents and my brother did not want to see, and so we arranged... Uh, to like split up and then to meet back up at a certain place at a certain time. So I went to the certain place at the certain time and my parents didn't come. And at first I thought maybe I was just early or whatever. And then the t as the time went on, I realized they were not coming. And I had no idea where I was. I was in a huge museum. I was in a huge city and I started to get freaked out, but I, I also remembered my parents had taught me to like go to a security guard. So I went up to a security guard and my chin was shaking and I said, I don't know where my mom and dad are. And he was so gracious and kind and he <clears throat> took me to like the little plexiglass room in the middle of some big hallway and gave me a coloring book and um, I sat in there waiting for my parents to come, feeling so afraid. But I remember <clears throat> thinking to myself, at the end of this day, I will be in my hotel room with my family, tucked safely in bed. I have no idea how I'm going to get from this moment to that moment, but I know that's how this day is going to end. And I think it's interesting that in that uncertain time, my young mind went from the crisis moment to the end of the day, to the end of the story, to my confidence that somehow my parents would find me and that this would end well. You have parents who love you, they will show up, and we will be together tonight. And here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that in the midst of the uncertainties of life, the truth is that you have been rescued and that your life is at home and safe with God. The knowledge of his love and his action on your behalf 
can impact the way you live in uncertain times. Paul is asking us to keep our minds set on the inevitable reality that we will be found with God forever and that we are hidden in Christ right now. Think of it. Remember it. Live into this reality and let it inform how you live now. In today's text, the Lord Jesus invites you to know that you are hidden in the heart of Christ. He's taken you to the presence of the Father, and Jesus wants you to experience this reality. So there are three aspects of this reality of hiddenness in Jesus that I'm going to talk about today. The first one is God's action in our hiddenness. The second one is, what are the snags to our hiddenness in Jesus? And the third is, what is one step to experience our hiddenness in Jesus? So God's action in our hiddenness, the snags to our hiddenness, and one step to experience our hiddenness in Jesus. So the first four verses remind us of what Christ has done for us. We are the recipients of God's incredible love. He's been teaching us throughout this letter with clear and strong words that help us to see what has already happened for us in Christ. From chapter 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. From chapter 2, having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith. Also, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive. And from today's passage in chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Thank you so much. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So listen to those action words, those really strong verbs, delivered transferred, buried, raised, made alive, hidden. Who is the actor? It's Jesus. He is at the center. He is the life. We are the recipients. Thanks be to God. So knowing all these things are true, Paul urges us to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated there because he's already accomplished his mission. You are already loved, cleansed, delivered, and alive. Thanks be to God. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So how can we be hidden in Jesus? What's the doorway for us to get in and to be hidden in him? It's his wounds. He gives us access to his life through the opening in his body. We can be hidden in his death and therefore also hidden with him in his resurrection. He gives his life in death and we join our lives to his in the waters of baptism. Imagine your life is given to Christ as you go beneath the water and then up out of the water you rise, now alive in Jesus' resurrection. When we're baptized into his death and resurrection, we have access to him, to all of him, to his life, to his death and to his resurrection, to his love and strength and wisdom. 
Our lives are given wholly into the loving hands of the Father. It makes me think of um, when my little girl was so tiny and in her little toddler bed, barely visible beneath piles of stuffed animals. I can remember sitting down on the floor next to her bed and tucking her in. I would tuck around the edges of her little person and say, Charlotte, I'm tucking you in with blankets. You are safe and cozy and loved, but more than that, you are tucked into the love of Jesus. You are surrounded by his love. He is wrapped around you like this blanket. You belong to him. He will never let you go. You rest now, tucked in his love. Another way to think about this is something that I learned from a class that Deacon Valerie teaches um, at our church uh, for the spiritual exercises. And in this class, we enter into each part of Jesus' life through reading the gospel text, reflecting on them, and prayer. And most of us can find ourselves somewhere in Jesus' life, uh, from birth to his childhood, baptism, his time in the wilderness, his ministry years, or his death or resurrection. Often, whatever we're walking through, we can kind of line up and find something from the life of Jesus that will minister his life to us wherever we are. So maybe you find yourself in a wilderness season. Perhaps like Jesus, after a wonderful, joyful season of affirmation and blessing from the Lord, you find yourself in a desert, and all you can see is hot sand all around. You face hunger and thirst and temptation. Hide yourself with Jesus in the wilderness. Read those accounts with Jesus in the wilderness. Pay attention to them. What does he do? Where does he gain strength? How can you ask for his strength in your wilderness? He has been there. Or maybe in the midst of intense years of business and hard work, you find yourself observing Jesus in his ministry years. He was surrounded by work, more than he could possibly do. He was working both with his own small team, but also with the vast needs of those seeking help all around him. He went from one crowd to another, sometimes seeing people late into the night. He could not get a break. So in your own intense years of work, how can you find yourself and hide yourself in the ministry years of Jesus? How does he work? How does he rest? How can your own work be filled with the life of Jesus, filled with his wisdom and strength? He's not only waiting to be with you in glory, he wants to join with you in your work, in your life, in your desert right now. Your life is hidden with Christ. Even in the midst of wilderness, intense work, you can hide your life with him. At the end of the day, your father will come for you. But even now, you are tucked into his love. So as we move to the next section with strong action verbs for us, put to death, put off, we start here as recipients of God's love, already hidden in him and carried in his heart. So let's move to the second aspect. Paul exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because he's a good father, we can trust his love. 
even when it means trusting his way over my own way. This is our primary temptation, to construct our lives as if we are at the center, which dishonors God, dishonors myself, and dishonors others. So what are the snags for us of living as if our lives are truly hidden with Christ and God? Paul focuses on two, sexual sins and sins of anger. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And now look at verse 8. You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. These are strong verbs for us. Put to death. Put them all away. Paul lists sins that include outward actions as well as inner attitudes, thoughts, and feelings. We should put to death anything we still think about, do, or say that dishonors our true identity in Christ. We dishonor our own bodies and minds with impure sexual thoughts and actions, malicious thoughts and words, as well as any other way we put ourselves at the center. Your life is not the center. It is hidden with Christ in God. These are opportunities to grow in dignity and agency, to participate in becoming holy. A number of years ago, when my son was a little boy, he asked me very earnestly one Sunday, I thought being a Christian was just Jesus loving me and me loving Jesus. Why do we have so many sermons that make it sound so complicated and confusing? So you're absolutely right. Hopefully not that sermons are complicated and confusing, (laughs) but yes, the most important thing is the love of Jesus of his love for you and your love for him. But what I didn't say then was just simply that as you grow, your muscles will get stronger, and as you engage your faith, you will get stronger and grow in stature, and you want to ask every part of you to join and to put a stake in the ground and say, yes, I want to grow and mature, and that takes courage and that takes strength. So let's start with sexual immorality. That's a physical action. But he also says impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And these are inner thoughts or states of mind. So having a sexual thought isn't something that you can control. The thought pops into your mind, and then you have a choice. You can let that thought pass on through, or you can grab hold of it and feed it and find images that pour gas on that fire. You can let your imagination make you center. Instead of feeding your heart good food, it's like eating dirt, and the strength and integrity of your soul is diminished over time. So when we put to death sexual immorality, what are we putting to death? Our craving to be satisfied on our own terms, to be fulfilled, and to take what we want. Who of us haven't tried in many ways to heal our own loneliness? 
The world tells us you must live in utter self-fulfillment. Those of you having physical or virtual encounters with person after person are experiencing an erosion of the beautiful life that the Lord desires for you. Perhaps you're driven by a fear of being alone, a fear that you are unlovable. The real cry of your heart is never met, and you are a slave to passions that further erode your well-being. Instead of becoming more and more outwardly engaged and creative, you participate in the numbing, stunting lie that you are the best one to determine what fulfillment looks like for you. We all nurture fantasies of what an amazing life looks like. And we get upset when life doesn't go the way we think it should. To let go of taking and grabbing the fulfillment we want, we have to open our hand and sometimes find that our hand is empty. And we live in faith that what I think I need to grab hold of right now is not the best. True life and fulfillment will come as I die to those old ways of living and courageously surrender to his way. How can you know this? Because life always follows death with Jesus. The way of life is the way of the cross. It involves dying and surrender. When I was 26 years old, I finished my master's degree, and I went to a party with my classmates to celebrate our graduation. It was so fun to celebrate this milestone in our lives, and I chose to enter into this celebration with excessive drinking. This was all fun and hilarious until I got a call from a classmate a few days later. A wonderful classmate of mine named Diane from Trinidad, about 10 years older, she asked me if we could get together. And when we met, she said to me something like this. I'm very upset by what I heard went on at that party this weekend. I heard that you got drunk, and I'm very disappointed. Do you not know who you are? Do you not know that you have a mission for Christ? Do you not know that when you speak, people listen? You must live in alignment with who you really are. Put off this foolishness. I felt like I'd been hit in the face with a bucket of water. I was pained and mortified, but I knew she was absolutely right. This is the best thing that could have happened to me as a 26-year-old young woman. Reading Paul can feel like a bucket of ice water, but there's a loving hand behind that bucket. So let's move on to the second list. Verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Slander and obscene talk are actions. Wrath, malice, and anger are thoughts and conditions of the heart. Having an angry thought is itself not a sin. Angry thoughts are normal and necessary thoughts and, or feelings that show us that a boundary has been violated. A wrong has been done, and I need to be aware of it. I may need to speak or act 
to protect myself or someone else, or even to speak or act to bring correction to a corporate or societal wrong. When an angry thought comes up, often in response to a real hurt, disappointment, or wrong, there is an opportunity for great good, for acknowledging and addressing this wrong with proper words and action. There's also potential for real harm and sin, as Paul says. It can become sin when the thought marinates into a state of anger, a conscious state of smoldering or seething or rage, and when this state breaks out in actual angry deeds or words. How is this wrong going to be set right? We can choose life and find creative ways to speak and engage, or we can stew and fester in our own fantasy of tearing down whomever or whatever we view as the offending person or group. We can feed sexual fantasies. We can feed anger fantasies. We might have imagined conversations where we finally set that person straight. Stewing anger wants to make someone pay. This, again, puts us at the center. You know the places and people to whom you can go to fuel a smoldering anger. Anger may be our heart's initial, understandable response to an awful situation, but fueling it or letting, come, letting it come out as slang, slander or obscene talk does not bring life. In these you once walked, put them all away. This takes incredible courage to let go of the power in anger. Lashing out at others to promote or protect myself puts me at the center. That's the thing these two sins have in common, is me at the center. The fact is that we are not really that interesting. And we're not always right. But the story with Jesus at the center is fascinating and completely true. And I want to live more as if that story is really true, and put to death my own version of the story that puts me, my fulfillment, my plans, and myself at the center. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. We can feed the new man with thoughts and actions in agreement with who we are, or we can feed it garbage by thinking and acting as if we are the center of the story. So now we come to the action point. One step you can take to experience the truth of your hiddenness in Jesus. It comes from verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Tell the truth. Another place for courageous surrender is to tell the truth, to no longer lie, but to tell the truth is one swift and effective way of putting to death sin of any kind. Own it, confess it, tell it to another person. Think, why would I ever do that? To repent and to confess is to gain immediate access to the healing love of God, right here, right now, in that specific 
I shared with you about my sin the night of my graduation, but what I didn't tell you was that I was working for my church at the time with preschool ministry, and I knew that I would have to confess this to my pastor. I was so scared to do it. I honestly imagined that I would need to publicly confess to the church. I had played it out in my mind that during the announcements, they would say, you know, good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. We have a few announcements this morning. <laughs> What's going on in the life of our church this week? Well, actually, quite a lot. <clears throat> we invite Margie to come up and, and share what's been happening in her life this week. <clears throat> I know it sounds ridiculous, but we laugh because we all feel the stab of the idea that our private lives would somehow be aired in front of the church. So you don't have to come to make a public confession, but telling another person is an important step in hiding yourself in Jesus. I confessed. I received forgiveness from the Lord, from my pastor. I received love, forgiveness, and practical guidance to put away that sin. And you can too. To follow Jesus is to utterly trust the Father. That's what Jesus did. To trust that if you lay down your life, you'll be laying it down into his love. To open your life in this way is, takes courageous trust. You can let go of knowing what the part will be that you will have to do. You will have to just open your heart and open your life. Let go of knowing what, what's going to happen next. You let go of the control of that. It takes courage. But you are tucked into his love, and at the end of the day, you will be with your Father in glory. So maybe you would like to put to death a sin that has robbed you of real life, robbed you of joy in the work that Jesus has already done, and kept your eyes turned inward. Maybe you need the grace to believe that your life, as complex as it is, with outcomes completely out of your control, really is hidden with Jesus. Or maybe you need a blessing of courage to align yourself and to live in line with the love of God. I'd like to pray for you now, but I also invite you to come to receive prayer on the sides um, after or during the Eucharist, and also maybe to connect with a friend or with a pastor. So let me just pray for you. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you trusted the Father enough to lay down your life. And Lord, would you give us courage to follow you and to lay down our lives? Forgive us, Lord, where we have grasped and taken what does not belong to us. We lay down our lives. Have mercy on us, Lord, for the ways that we have sought to find fulfillment. And every heart here, Lord, that needs to know your love, would you come, Holy Spirit, and fill them now. Fill every place in their hearts and minds that is afraid of being alone, that is afraid of being unloved, or that their life doesn't matter or is unseen. I thank you, Lord, that you see and that you love them. Come now, give us courage to confess our sins. Feed us at your table with your love and life. Thank you, Lord, that we will see you face to face. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.